This is Move to Live More, a podcast series profiling thought leaders in healthcare, health and fitness, and communities. We explore the connection between physical activity and mental and physical health. We address solutions for chronic disease, obesity, and physical inactivity through cross-sector collaboration and innovation. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Amy Bantham, the CEO and founder of Move to Live More, with a mission to help people live healthier, longer, more active lives. This episode is brought to you by Move to Live More, a research and consulting firm integrating healthcare, health and fitness, and communities to address chronic disease and physical inactivity. I'm here today with Dr. Mary O'Connor, Chief Medical Officer and co-founder of Bori Health, and Professor Emerita of Orthopedic Surgery at Mayo Clinic. I'm also here with Conwell Hawk, medical anthropologist working at the Mount Sinai Arnold Institute of Global Health. Together, they are the co-authors of Taking Care of You, The Empowered Woman's Guide to Better Health. Marianne Conwell, welcome. Thank you, delighted to be with you. Thank you so much. So happy to have you both on the show. Let's talk about the beginnings and the origins of the idea of putting together this wonderful guide for women and which resulted in taking care of you. Amy, I I think the, the origin basically started from my frustration of caring for women as an orthopedic surgeon uh, that that basically didn't have good health care. And I have been in the health equity space for a long time. I, I am chair of the board of a national nonprofit called Movement is Life. So we, we both love the word movement. And we're, we're focused on um, eliminating musculoskeletal health disparities, which disproportionately impact women of all race and ethnic backgrounds and disproportionately impact individuals of color and those that live in rural America. We oftentimes forget about the disparities in rural America. Anyway, in the course of my career, I would see, I don't know, countless women who would come in who hadn't asked questions of their previous orthopedic surgeons that came confused, that had an operation for which they didn't do well. And when I would ask them, well, you know, did you talk to the surgeon about this? Well, the the surgeon wasn't listening. And I fundamentally came to realize that while we need so many changes on multiple levels to advance health equity in the United States, we also need to advance the empowerment skills of patients and women in particular to advocate for themselves for better health care. So I had kind of in the back of my uh, head this idea of there should be a book. Women should have a resource book that they can go to, almost like um, our bodies ourselves was decades ago for kind of a guide for sexual health, reproductive health. But, but I couldn't find anything out there on more like general health conditions. So anyway, the short story is Conwall and I, have actually never met yet in real life. It's amazing. We did, we've done this whole book. It's been all virtual. Um, and we were both at Yale at the time. And I said, hey, I have this idea. Maybe we should do this book together. 
and that's how we got started. It sounds like, and I know from reading it and and working on it, that empowerment, self-advocacy, helping women find their voice is a really key theme in the book. And Kamal, I'm interested in your perspective as a medical anthropologist that, that those themes must have really struck you as being incredibly important to weave throughout. Absolutely. I think as Mary stated, we got connected and um, part of how we got connected was that I was going through my own health struggles um, and kind of hitting my head against a wall, trying to get care that I needed. Um, and, you know, thinking I'm at a place like Yale, I'm in the health space and I'm still struggling um, to to get the care that I need. So what does everyone else go through, right? So as Mary and I started talking about this and talking about what we've seen, what we've experienced ourselves, what we've um, heard from our loved ones, you know, there we we started kind of searching, well, is there something out there that we could recommend? And there wasn't, there was nothing that we could find on non-reproductive health issues. And so our idea slowly formed that, you know, this, it would be amazing if we could flip a switch and change the healthcare system, but we can't. Um, so instead, we created this book as a tool to help women, um, as a tool that's literally in their hands that can help guide them to become better advocates. And so with that, the clinical chapters, each one it explains what is the condition, can it be prevented, how is it treated, questions to ask your healthcare team, uh, why this matters to women, so what makes this different um, in women and men, or why it impacts women more than men, or you know, if we don't know the answers to these questions, because there's also been a long history of women being excluded um, from clinical medicine and the research is just not there um, at all. And we talk about that, you know, in different sections of the book. Our guide is to one, educate women about really what does this landscape look like? And two, then if you're dealing with something right now, you know, you can flip to that chapter, you can learn about it, and then you can go into your healthcare visit more prepared. You can have those questions so that you can guide it. You have names of um, practitioners and clinicians who are working on this issue and really dedicated to it. And, you know, if you're not getting the care that you need, um, we have a chapter on that too, how to find the right clinician for you. So there, there's a lot of good nuggets of information and kind of, you know, as we would think about what would, what do we need for ourselves and our loved ones? Um, we built this with a lot of feedback from a lot of women, over a hundred women in terms of what would you like to see that would really help you. Great. You talked about putting really something very concrete in women's hands. And Mary, you talked about really see seeing the need for this in the clinical setting you came up against it time and time again if you're able to put this tool in women's hands and achieve what what does success look like for you is it one woman being empowered is it women in the areas that need it the most is it a movement of women who feel empowered what what are and and maybe it's short medium and long-term success well that's a great question amy and i'll i'll take a first go at it um i i would say you know if we help even one woman with this book achieve better health then that's fantastic obviously the goal would be to help many many women 
thousands of women, maybe millions of women, right? Because the health inequities are so broad and pervasive and these uh, ingrained disparities just can't be changed overnight. It, you know, it's like steering, you know, the huge, you know, battleship, right? So for the here and now, probably the the best the the best way to advance uh, better health care for women is for women to be better informed patients and to be more proactive in feeling that they have the strength of using their voice. And so that's why we focused a lot on language to help those help women feel more secure in asking questions because the power differential is very real, right? I'm the doctor. I'm the medical expert. You're the patient. You're coming to me because you have a problem and you need my expertise. So there's this very defined power differential. And so that patient is often afraid to ask a question. Why? Because maybe they don't want to appear, you know, uninformed, uneducated. And we have to get people beyond that women in particular beyond that to say if i have a question then that's important and and to get women over their fear of asking questions i'm really struck by your comments about the power differential and having women who are more informed self-advocates really helps to address that power differential. And Conwell, when you and I were writing the chapter that we wrote together on Is Google Your First Responder, we were walking a very fine line between ensuring that women were more informed when they went in to meet with their clinician versus women not seeking out the care because they had found information online. Can you speak to I, I worked with you on one chapter i was one of 111 contributors so i saw a very small snapshot of the whole process can you give my listeners a behind the scenes view of what it takes to put together such a large volume with so many different contributors how did you find the contributors? How did you work with them to bring it all together with this overarching theme of empowerment weaving its way through the resource guide? Yeah, I think um, similarly to the chapter that we worked on, right? Um, I reached out to you. I had, you know, I was kind of um, doing some searches on LinkedIn through like networks of my own. Um, and same, Mary and I kind of, you know, once we had this list of conditions that we had narrowed it down to, you know, we included about half of what we wanted to, and it's already a huge book. Um, we, we then started kind of giving it up and saying like, oh, who do you know who's in this space, right? Um, uh, and so because we work um, in medicine and healthcare, we had some of these connections ourselves because these are stories that are so familiar to us. Like, oh, I have a loved one who st struggles with knee pain or with um, heart disease or diabetes. We we already knew some folks in this space, so we started reaching out to those experts, um, and then you know we came up with sort of this this template of hey, this is what we're gonna include in each chapter here's some um here's some nuggets of information that we want getting that pearls of wisdom and those questions was really vital from those experts um but it was it was a long process um Mary and I worked uh 
every night, you know, after work on the weekends, um, finding our contributors, answering their questions, um, editing, re-editing. But it was also a super um, amazing process because we met so many wonderful women through this who really cared and who really want to make an impact. Everyone poured a lot of love um, and their expertise into this because we we went with them of like, if you could sit down with every patient that you have, what is it that you want them to know? If you had all the time in the world and you wanted to make sure. And so they really they really poured that into this text. Um, and that's why we think, you know, it is an incredible tool. Great. Mary Conwell talked about how the topics were selected a bit, but it sounds like half the topics were left out. How did you go through the process of deciding what's in and what's out? And maybe is there a volume two in your future? Well, that's a great question. And it was difficult at times uh, to try and, and scope the book. Uh, we decided early on that we were going to stay away from topics that where there were already some excellent resources for women. So books about menopause, books about fertility, pregnancy, there's already a lot of resources out there. But as I mentioned earlier, a shocking lack of kind of a general health book. And so we decided right from the start that we were not going to cover those, uh, I'll use the term reproductive, more reproductive topics, because they're already out there. And focus on the areas where people simply uh, are not as aware that these disparities exist. And what was fascinating for me is learning how much sex uh, differences there are in, in so many medical conditions. You know, I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I've done research on sex and gender differences in osteoarthritis and um, the delivery of healthcare and things in the musculoskeletal space. So I'm well aware that there's underappreciation of these differences. We're not researching them adequately, et cetera. But what was amazing to me was just how broad these sex differences are and how diseases impact women different than medicine across so many conditions. And then we also pulled in, we asked our contributors to pull in if there was data on race and ethnic disparities as well. So I think this, our, our approach is actually fairly novel and unique in that we're, we're highlighting that these are differences that people need to be aware of. Why? Because it impacts the way women receive care. And that impacts, honestly, and I don't mean to make this sound dramatic, but it impacts whether women live or die. Yeah, it's a really important point. You're seeing the disparities and you're really trying to put tools in the hands of women to help have an influence and guide the care that could save them. And time is of the essence. Conwell, I'm curious, you and Mary both have deep connections with healthcare and, and with that community, but there are a lot of public health practitioners like me who were engaged with the book. So how did you reach across medical and public health and reach across clinic to community 
to take a more uh, holistic approach? I think, um, yeah, so the first chapter is on social determinants of health, right? We really kind of wanted to set the landscape of like, what is health, right? When we think of health, our minds may think about like the hospital, the clinic, um, and I'll let Mary speak to this um, afterwards. We've got a whole chapter on also what is health and how much of that percentage, we've got a great illustration, you know, how much of that is your medical care and how much is these other factors. Um, and so kind of with that in mind, we really wanted to set that framework. And so that's why there's these three sections in the book. Um, the first section of laying the landscape of, you know, what is women's health and kind of understanding the conditions in which we work, we live, we play, how much this impacts us, right? Um, and like why public health is so vital. And so that's really ingrained throughout the book. And like yourself, we had other practitioners of public health who who guided us in like, hey, like, let's make sure we include this. I think in terms of behavior change, which is the biggest portion of our health, that is up to individuals, right? And that is why we are so passionate about this book being a tool for women. When I was concerned about the, the price, my husband said, you know, well, $40 is worth an investment of, you know, recognizing like, hey, I'm having a heart attack. Um, and because so many times women go to the ER and the heart attack is mixed. And so there's so many examples like this heart attack stroke within the book that really are, you have this information, you're going to go in, um, you're going to be much more empowered to recognize that not only in yourself, but in your loved ones. And so I think it's, um, it's really important that whenever we work on something that it is really community-based, it's driven by the community. And that's how we started about really figuring out what's most important, what would actually help you. Um, and then moving forward of like, how could we make it so that this is accessible? You know, and so that's why the chapters are really, they're, they're short chapters. You don't read this book cover to cover, you flip to whichever chapter you need. Um, and in that way, it's kind of quick and easy and you, you get what you need um, right away. And I started Move to Live More really based on a couple of things, which I think are really reflected in your book. One is cross-sector collaboration and bringing in healthcare and community. So you're empowering community members so they can be more informed in a healthcare setting. And then clinicians may be better able to connect the community member to social services. So it comes full circle. I also started my company really thinking about addressing chronic disease, physical inactivity, and unmet health-related social needs. So it all fits in uh, very nicely with the vision of my company. Mary, do you wanna add anything on yeah. social determinants of health? Amy, I uh, yes, because this is such an important topic, right? Although I don't want us to forget that still the the largest contributor to our health is our personal behavior, right? Now, certainly our ability to have healthy behaviors is greatly influenced by our social determinants. But nonetheless, we, we have an opportunity for every single woman, regardless of her social determinants, to work on, on more positive health behaviors as a general statement. Um, I want to comment about 
the importance of community. And it's taken me a while in my own kind of personal journey to come to this realization, but here it is. We have a sick care system and medicine at its best in the United States is the best in the world. Now, unfortunately, we know everybody doesn't get that same quality of care. But if you're really sick, you can get amazing health care in this country. However, it is not a health care system. It is a sick care system. And we simply have to stop expecting the current, quote, healthcare system to deliver on health. It's not structured that way. It can't do it that way. Doctors and nurses are not trained to do that. And we need to move wellness into communities and leave sick care for the sick care system. And that is a fundamental mind shift that needs to happen if we're going to change the disastrous trajectory of health conditions and chronic conditions in the United States. You just described my life's mission and the mission of my company. And um, I really focus on prevention. I've been beating the drum of prevention for decades. It can be lonely. Um, it's I appreciate having you frame that so well. We, we often in the health and fitness community talk about the work that we're doing, which is squarely in the wellness and prevention space away from the sick care system yet at the same time because of this way the system is set up we need to integrate in order to to really plug in and is there a way to get clinicians referring people out into the community to support them in the behavior change that you're describing Mary, you said that you and I both love the word movement. Absolutely, with Move to Live More and movement is life. My, many of my listeners are firmly rooted in the health and fitness sector and physical activity and movement is our life and our life's mission. Can you talk about how you address physical activity in taking care of you? Um, Amy, that is a great question. And we have in the third section of the book, appropriately entitled Taking Care of You, we have a chapter on physical activity, uh, which really highlights why that's so important. And, you know, I'll just emphasize that it's never too late to start moving. I think one of the misconceptions that people have, particularly women, is if I'm unfit or I'm overweight or I don't exercise, it's kind of too late for me. That is absolutely not true. Any time is the right time. And any time that you embrace positive change and you increase your level of physical activity will result in health benefits. And I'm going to get you involved in my nonprofit movement is life. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that. I love the name. Yeah, my my mantra is every step counts. And I love yours of it's never too late. Um, that's wonderful. It's a really important message. We don't need to get ourselves in perfect shape in order to join a community health and fitness center. Um, we can get moving and we can also reap the wonderful benefits of being active in a community setting, social support, 
and immediate mental health benefits. They're wonderful benefits. Can I ask each of you, I'm curious if you could share a story or a testimonial that you might have heard from a reader of Taking Care of You that really stayed with you about the impact that it had had on their lives. Sure. Um, I can say like uh, the first uh, one that I heard, it was from one of my friends and she's someone I know who um, she is a community advocate. She's always advocating for others. And I think this was kind of the first time that I heard her talk about advocating for herself. She told me that she's actually like suffered from migraines for many years being uh, a woman who is an immigrant, who is a refugee, she doesn't feel comfortable when she goes to the doctor, like asking questions, but her medication has not been working for her for a long time. Uh, so she told me she had read the first section of taking care of you. And when she read the chapter on like finding the right clinician for you, she, she started kind of thinking about that a little bit more. And then she read the chapter on migraines. And the next time she went back to her doctor, she told him like, hey, this actually isn't working. There's all of these side effects and it's really impacting my quality of life. Like, I really need you to help me find another medication. And he said, okay. She's like, I didn't know it was that easy. Now it's a lot better. But I think it was almost astonishing to me because I'm like, oh, I know this woman as someone who's always advocating for others. But when it came to herself, like, why hadn't she done it? Right. But then I thought the same thing about myself. And it was like, through the process of this book, I think I became a better advocate for myself. And I, you know, I started exercising more, I started asking more questions, I started becoming more engaged. And I think it was also this book, not only did it give me tools, but it gave me this community of other women who were engaged in writing and reading this text, um, and moving towards the same thing. And I, I think that's really, really powerful. And like, I think we're going to see a lot more of that as we kind of hear stories um, come through. But that was the first one I heard and it really stuck with me. And I was like, wow, okay, so we've we've already made one difference. Um, and, you know, that was that was the day the book came out. So that's pretty wonderful. exciting. That, that yeah. it's an immediate and and it makes me think about myself i'm i'm great at advocating for those i love and not as great in advocating for myself and i think a lot of it in the clinical setting comes down to that power differential that mary talked about and so having the ammunition the tool that i need when i go in and and so i take my own advice about google as my first responder and i am thoroughly researched when i go into a clinical visit so that i can ask the questions that i need to ask in order to get the information i need to get in order to make the most informed decisions possible mary how about you any particular story that stuck with you I'll share a little different perspective on that. I've actually been um, pleased, maybe a little surprised at how many men have written to me that they've purchased the book for their wives or their daughters. And so I have found that very gratifying that there's a level of awareness among husbands and dads that, that the women in their lives that they love are at risk of not receiving great care. And so they recognize the need 
for them to be empowered, for the women in their lives to be empowered. And I think this is this is important, right? It's important that we all understand that <laughs> that we're all in this together. A rising tide lifts all boats, and the better the, the health is and the better the health behaviors of anyone in the family in general, the whole family benefits. And I'll just share one little story because it really was so impactful to me. In my uh, nonprofit movement is life work, we have a community program called Operation Change that's focused on women, underserved women with knee pain and comorbidities, and and it's an education program. But the, the short story is there was a woman at one of our Chicago programs, uh, Latina, and so she learned how to cook healthier, more nutritious, lower calorie, but yet ethnically aligned foods. So she goes home and she's adding this one dish to the family meal and her husband pushes back. What is this? This is different. This is, you know, and she makes all the regular, regular food for him. But she starts cooking this one side dish for herself. And then the next thing you know, the children are eating the side dish that she's also making for herself. And then finally, the husband starts eating the more nutritious food. So this is the impact of one woman, one mother, not just improving her health, but impacting and improving the health of her children, her husband. And that's how we change communities. I know this sounds sexist, but it's really about changing the health of our communities is about changing the health of women because women drive health in the home. I have been really touched when male friends and colleagues have told me that they've purchased a copy of the book as well. I think it it takes a village, it takes a community to support women's health. Kenwell, Mary, can you tell my listeners how they can learn more about taking care of you and get their own copy? Because I'm not willing to give up mine. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, So our website is www.takingcareofyoubook.com. And there you will find links to Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Target, Walmart, um, lots of different uh, retailers that are selling the book. And uh, yeah, on our socials, it's just um, at Women's Health Book. Uh, You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook. Our email is listed in the book. Um, Our email is also on the website. We love to hear feedback. Um, You know, we want to hear what you like, what you want to know more of. And yeah, maybe there will be a volume two one day. <laughs> and Kamal, I know you said this, but can you repeat it about the proceeds and how they support um, Mayo Clinic? Yeah, um, proceeds of this book, um, I think it's about 95%. So it's a very large portion. They go towards education and research at Mayo Clinic. Um, so we hope that this is going to contribute to the betterment of health of women, men, children, communities for uh, lifetimes to come. Wonderful. We'll move to live more podcast listeners. I'm here today with Mary and Conwell talking about taking care of you. Thank you both so much for your time. Our pleasure. Thank you so much, Amy, and um, God bless you and, you know, onward. Thanks for listening to the Move to Live More podcast series. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out at movetolivemore.com. We'll see you next time.